Hello everyone and welcome to Reason for Hope. We're very glad you're joining us. Reason for Hope is a live broadcast which is guided by your questions on the Bible. That's right, you can send your questions in through our multiple online platforms and we will delve into the Bible to find the answers to those. So if you have questions on your heart about the Bible or the Christian faith or things going on in the world, maybe things going on in your own life, but you'd like a an answer from the Word, then that's what we're here to do. So we're very glad that you are joining us. Once again, you can send your questions in, whatever platform you're joining us on, and we'll be glad to accept those today. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be your host today with us as well today, as is the as per the usual, Pastor yeah. Sean Richards. How are you doing today? I just got back on the protein shake diet. You did? How's that yeah. going for you? We'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a very enclosed space here, so I hope it goes very well for you. Yeah. Also, our senior pastor here at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, Scott Richards. How hey, are you doing? Doing fantastic, Dave. Yeah. Great to be here. Good to see you. Thanks for making the time to delve into the Word and um, have this hour broadcast. It's very brave and kind of you to, to, <laughs> to do that. So thank you so much. Well, as I mentioned, A Reason for Hope is uh, our long live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here Mountain Standard Time here in Tucson, Arizona. But of course, through the wonders of the internet, you can join us all around the world. It is an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So um, bear that in mind as you're trying to uh, find us, Calvary Christian Fellowship. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you follow that Watch Live tab right there, we'll take you to our live page. You'll see uh, when we're off air, you'll see a countdown to our next show. You will see uh, a schedule of upcoming events, but when we're on air, you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username of your choice and uh, interact with us that way. You can send your questions in through the chat function, and I will be monitoring those as we go along. The direct link is ccftucson.online.church. That's ccftucson.online.church. Or once again, just follow the link from our calvarychristianfellowship.com website. That will take you to the same place. We're on Facebook, of course, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Don't forget to like and to share. We'd love to have a further reach. So if you've been blessed by this ministry, that's somewhere that you can share us around. And another way you can send the questions in, in the chat box right there. I will be watching you there as well, jumping around on all these platforms. We have um, an app as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on your, uh, in your app store, whether it's your iPhone or Android. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. And that's our app. You can watch us on your mobile device that way. We have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you have one of those devices or a smart TV, um, add that channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you can watch us there as well. We're on YouTube, of course. If you look for A Reason for Hope on YouTube, that is the name of the channel. That's a really good place to go for archives. If you missed a show or would like to just recap or rewatch one of the questions, follow the live tab right there. And anytime you've been live, it will be archived there for your viewing pleasure. So that's a great place to go uh, for archive. Not only um, Reason for Hope, but also our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship as well. As I say, anytime we've been live, you'll find an archive right there. So A Reason for Hope on YouTube. That's where you'll find us. And again, on YouTube, don't forget to like and share and subscribe and click the bell. That means you'll be notified when we are live. You get a little reminder. We'd appreciate that as we you know, grow this, continue to grow this ministry. Our pastor, uh, Scott here, Scott Richards, is on Twitter, ScottR4H. He posts uh, highlights from the show and kind of commentary on things going on in the world and the news from a biblical and prophetic perspective. So it's very informative and interesting and even funny sometimes to follow along with him. So at ScottR4H on Twitter, if you're a Twittery kind of person, follow Pastor Scott on there. 
Um, we're on Rumble as well if you're on that platform. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. Right now we post archives there, but we're looking into the possibility of streaming live there as well. So don't forget to um, follow us on Rumble if you're on that platform. Again, A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. You'll find us there. Last but not least, our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on the radio, you are listening to the last show we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you per se, but if you use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, we will get to those questions on our next show and maybe join us on one of our live platforms uh, when you uh, are able, not on your drive time. Well, I think I covered everything. With that being said, Sean, would you like to pray for us today? We'd like to pray before we go any further. Of course. That'd yeah. be great. Thank you. God, thank you that we have the chance to be in your word. Allow your people to not only have ears to hear it, but hearts to receive and live according to it as well. Give my Father and I words that not only reflect your heart and your mind, but also your voice, and let it minister to your people, or maybe those who don't know you, that they would be given an opportunity to understand you deeper and fuller than mm. they would have had without you. Either way, be honored through this broadcast. We dedicate it to you and ask that you be blessed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So that, yeah. Well, Pastor Scott, do you have anything to share with us today? Sometimes this. Well, uh, there's the some uh, stuff uh, brewing in Israel right now. Obviously, it's uh, you're going to set your clock by at this time of year with the Passover uh, and Ramadan uh, coinciding. There's uh, all kinds of uh, uh, hooliganism happening uh, at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which uh, unfortunately gets uh, uh, mutated from a place of prayer to a staging ground for attacks on people trying to pray along uh, the Western Wall. Uh, Israeli police have gone in and uh, attempted to put an end to all of this. But, of course, the usual suspects are saying it's a human rights violation. And and uh, there are those who are saying that this uh, is an unprecedented attack, the Palestinians, obviously, and are calling uh, all faithful Palestinians to mass to Jerusalem for a riot and a demonstration to protect uh, the site of what they consider to be the third holiest shrine in Islam, which is pretty dubious uh, regarding the actual history of Muslim claims on uh, the area of the Temple Mount. Uh, we're, we're watching what's going on there. Uh, obviously, uh, with uh, the instability uh, that has been associated with the Israeli government, uh, the demonstrations have been going on by Israelis and the division involved there. It will be very interesting to see how uh, this traditional time of unrest is uh, met uh, and, and dealt with along those lines. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, pray for the Jewish people during this time. And uh, pray that uh, the cooler heads would prevail. Apparently there have been a number of rocket launches as well from uh, Gaza into uh, southern Israel. These have been intercepted by the Iron Dome. Mm. Uh, but uh, so far, it's pretty standard operating procedure. I think the wild card here, though, is the uh, instability and demonstrations that have been prevalent in Israel, the, uh, the division that exists there, and whether that can be exploited by the enemies of Israel for their particular purposes. So uh, definitely a time to be praying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, well, we have, we have questions coming in. We have some coming through our email address as well. You guys ready to delve yeah, right let, in? Let's yeah, let's uh, dive in. Well, all right. A uh, question from Daniel came in through uh, email address, if I remember right. Questions for hope at gmail.com. Daniel says, I was curious if you're familiar with Tim Cohen's book, Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, 
which claims that King Charles III is the Antichrist. I am very interested in hearing your thoughts about it. And I guess the general question would be, how will we know the Antichrist? Do we know who he's going to be? And Well, let me uh, make a uh, confession to you. Um, <laughs> I'm getting old. It's a safe place. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, that's my confession. <laughs> I am old enough to remember uh, back when uh, the, uh, right after I became a, a Christian, uh, the hot rumor, as soon as uh, I started hearing about Bible prophecy, about the identity of the Antichrist was Henry Kissinger, because um, he spoke with a very thick, menacing accent and uh, seemed to be skilled at bringing peace to the world, and the Antichrist was going to be peacemaker. Well, as we found out, Henry Kissinger is not the Antichrist. Yes. Then uh, the uh, next big candidate uh, was Ronald Reagan. Why? Because Ronald Reagan's full name was Ronald Wilson Reagan. Each of those names has six letters in them, 666. Six, six. Whoa. Get it? Yeah. Get it? <laughs> Uh, and Diana. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was not the Antichrist. Uh, Bo Ouellette showed me a book that was put together by one of the uh, Mad Magazine wing of Bible prophecy analysts mm. that had a picture of Ronald Reagan riding a white horse, wow, and they said yeah. that was a fulfillment of uh, Revelation 6. Oh, boy. Ronald Reagan, uh, we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, was not the Antichrist, although that uh, got all ginned up when uh, he was uh, shot in an assassination attempt. Where did he get shot? Was in the head? You know, is he going to resurrect? No, he wasn't the Antichrist. Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, the uh, last leader of the Soviet Union, the one who was uh, famous for his policy of glasnost, uh, reaching out to the West, uh, removing some more odious uh, components of uh, communism and its dominance on Eastern Europe. Well, you know, he was famous for having a uh, Weinstein birthmark on his forehead. And if you looked at it just right, uh, you could uh, maybe see the letter 666 in there. Well, Mikhail Gorbachev was not the Antichrist. Uh, boy, Sean, I think we dealt with a, uh, uh, a dust-up about uh, Barack Obama, uh, an uh, incredible uh, topsy-turvy uh, interpretation of uh, the passage in Luke where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, they said that the Arabic word for lightning was uh, Baruch, which meant something close to Barak. Uh, so he was the one who fell from heaven, uh, Satan falling from heaven. So, you know, again, uh, from the sublime of the ridiculous, uh, I've known some uh, people whose opinions I generally respect on other issues who made the claim that uh, Prince Juan Carlos of Spain would be the Antichrist for all kinds of convoluted reasons. Uh, the bottom line is, whenever anybody makes a claim that, uh, or raises the question or sells a book saying uh, that uh, someone is going to be the Antichrist, well, a couple things uh, about the Antichrist. No disrespect meant to uh, King Charles III, uh, Dave. You know, he is <laughs> representative you. of your people there. Uh, no disrespect intended, but <laughs> the Antichrist is supposed to be a man of great charisma, uh, an individual that people will follow almost uh, hypnotically like Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Um, to be frank with you, the public presentations that Prince Charles has made, his uh, track record, say, in the shady shenanigans that went on with Princess Di and, yeah. and so on, um, 
not really antichrist material yeah there i'd concur yeah so um you know i think you're going to see these kind of things and you know i think there is a uh, a definite uh spiritual deception that runs under all of this that goes deeper than just you know antichrist antichrist who's going to be the antichrist uh you know the the it's twofold. First of all, in Second Thessalonians chapter two, we are told that the one who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless man will be revealed, the son of perdition, whom the Lord will slay with the brightness of his coming, the breath that is his second coming. Uh, and uh, Paul says, "You know what has been restraining him uh, until now? Uh, the restraining work of the Holy Spirit in the church." Jesus said that the church, his people, would function in Matthew chapter 5, as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Light keeps darkness at bay. Salt was an important preservative of that time, kept things from rotting out. So as long as the church, that is God indwelling his people, and I mean church in the sense of all those who are made up of genuine born-again believers in Jesus who belong to his people, not uh, some particular den denomination or religious structure, but his gathered out ones. As long as we are still here in this phase of God's program, the Antichrist as such cannot reveal himself as the Antichrist. Now, does that mean that the Antichrist can't be involved with world politics right now? No, but he cannot reveal himself as the Antichrist until the church is first taken out of the way. And so the, the kind of the double deception that goes on here. Uh, number one is this. We ignore the clear teaching of Scripture and begin to pursue the obscure. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we do, when we start looking at possible candidates for the Antichrist, there's a fundamental flaw in our understanding of last days and end times eschatological uh, concerns. You want to use the $5 word. It's easy for me to say. But uh, the, the fundamental flaw is this. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 9, we are told, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, godly, and righteously in the present age, looking for the Antichrist. Well, does that say that? Doesn't sound right. No. no. <laughs> looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify him for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. We are not to be looking for the Antichrist. We are to be looking for Jesus Christ. Hmm. And this ties into the doctrine of imminency, that there is no prophecy of Scripture that has to be fulfilled before Jesus could snatch us out before the storm at the event called the rapture. The minute people start looking at people as the candidate to be the Antichrist, we are no longer looking up, we are looking out. We are really looking around, and nothing good ever comes of it. The second thing that happens as a result of this is that when the latest candidate <laughs> to be the Antichrist uh, ends up being completely discredited as such, it gives those who are non-Christians in the world every opportunity to be able to say, uh, you know, well, you know, you guys have been making these false predictions and these false uh, accusations for so long. Why should I listen to anything you have to say? And even the message of the gospel gets discredited as a result of this. Not because of the clear teaching of the last days in the scripture. You know, one out of every three verses in your Bible is devoted to predictive prophecy. God is all over us understanding what the last days and the end times are going to be all about. But 
when we get involved with sensationalism and uh, start mm. selling books about blood moons or, or start uh, speculating that someone is the Antichrist or we figured out that um, you know, AI is the mark of the beast or you know, even yeah. the vaccine, they were saying, oh, you know, they've, they've put little nano uh, uh, bots in it and it's going to give you the mark of the beast whether you realize it or not. Did you hear that? We just got kicked off YouTube. Continue. Yeah. Anyway, um, the, 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 the bottom line is it it's all ends up being ridiculous speculation and it distracts people from the clear message of prophecy. People say, do you, why do you think we're in the last days if it's not Prince Charles being the Antichrist? Well, I believe that we're in the last days because the Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 1, God in these last days has spoken to us as his son. We are in the final phase, if you will, of God's program from the first coming of Christ till his coming for us as his people at the rapture. We could characterize this as the last days in general. Even more importantly, Israel is back in the land. We are seeing biblical prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes that 80 years ago, someone would have uh, thought you were crazy to assume that Israel would ever be their own nation ever again in their historic homeland. Well, there they are. And uh, as our good friend Joel Rosenberg often points out, Israel's the epicenter of God's prophetic program. I think that's an incredible heavenly heads up for us that Jesus could return at any time. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the whole subject of false prophets and two forms of deception regarding false prophecy that, believe it or not, were alive and kicking in Ezekiel's day, that are really uh, receiving a big-time comeback in our day. Mm. Uh, we're going to talk about that tonight at 6.30 in our study in, in Ezekiel, and oh, I would nice. encourage you to uh, tune in and be a part of all of that. But it's the old, you know, whatever's old is new again. Yeah. Uh, there's no new spiritual errors. We're going to see we're making the same spiritual errors in Ezekiel's time regarding the prophecies that were germane to their day mm. that people are making in our day and age. And we'll learn a thing or two about how to make sure that uh, our eyes aren't distracted in this because what we believe about prophecy really does matter. It really, really does matter. Yeah. You know, there's a fascinating uh, warning that Jesus gives at the end of Matthew chapter 24 when he says, uh, but if a servant says, my master delays his coming, and begins to eat and drink with the drunkards and beat his fellow servants. His master is going to come on a day when he doesn't expect. Mm. And uh, that the fate of that person is not going to be positive. Mm. So uh, the wise Christian looks for the return of Jesus every single day. Because he could happen every single day. Yeah. Uh, you know, People ask the question, well, what if he doesn't come back for 200 years? Well, that's absolutely irrelevant to me. Why? Because... Maybe I've got 30 years left on this earth. You know, I turned 64 this year. So I lived to be 94. You know what that tells me? That within 30 years, I'm going to see Jesus. Either he's coming for me at the rapture, or I'm going to him through the valley of the shadow. But I'm going to see Jesus within 30 years. Right. I might as well live like it. Yeah. Because, uh, boy, 30 years, man, I think about uh, when I was 34, time's gone by like that. Mm -hmm. So be ready. Yep. Be prepared right. is the message of the Word of God in this respect. So yeah. don't let these speculative books and someone trying to get clicks and be somebody and, you know, fill up speaking gigs, you know, with outlandish things like this. And, yeah. you know, I defer to your judgment on 
King Charles III. <laughs> All I know about him is from what I saw in The Crown, yeah. but not a, a very impressive world-dominating <laughs> yeah. dictator candidate. No, I think you're pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Anything to add to that? Show him. And just give me 10 seconds. When it comes Ten, to people handling nine. the Bible in a way where the Antichrist is determined through a third of a verse or half of a verse rather than everything that Scripture says about the Antichrist, mm. don't consider it worth your time. Mm. Very good. Yeah. That was a very worthy 10 seconds. Well done. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, Daniel, yes, thank you for that, for that question. Appreciate you being part of the broadcast through our email address there. A uh, question from David. Good name. Um, what was Jesus trying to point out to the lawyer in Luke 10 when he affirms the lawyer's understanding of inheriting eternal life as loving the Lord and your neighbor as yourself? Does this go with works, uh, work salvation mindset? Or is Jesus trying to point uh, out something else unrelated to salvation? So well, he is pointing something out to salvation, but it's essentially narrowing the field so that we understand what our actual options are. Uh, let me just read the passage. It's leading up into the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, but he does mention this is how I get eternal life in verse 25 of Luke 10. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. By the way, this isn't the like stand in court with a suit lawyer. It's the expert on the law, so a guy who knew his Old Testament. Right. But he's saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? This is your field. What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So as lawyers tend to do, he did his homework. He quotes Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. But what's interesting is that Jesus says, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, people will take that, run so far with it that they end up breaking the cord, if not hanging themselves on it, and saying, see, Jesus is saying that if you just do the right things and for the right reasons all the time, then you'll be saved, quote-unquote. But note, it doesn't say saved, it says you'll inherit eternal life. What's the difference? Well, salvation is taking us from a position where we wouldn't have inherited eternal life and putting us back into that place. We were in a position where we were inheriting eternal death and now are inheriting eternal life. I was saved from an outcome. What Jesus is talking about with this lawyer is just eternal life carte blanche. So if I'm asking the question, what's the actual question being asked here? It's the concluding verse of Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this may be taken out of context and, you know, put it on Instagram or whatever. But here's an interesting point that I need to make. There are two ways to heaven. There's through Jesus and there's being Jesus. Jesus was literally describing somebody <laughs> who is like Jesus, someone who does love the Lord his God with all his mind, his soul, his heart, his strength. The problem was the lawyer could affirm that mentally. Many of us can cite those verses, maybe even understand the reference to Deuteronomy and, dare I say, Leviticus. But what's interesting is that we don't live like that, even if we know it. So in Jesus affirming this lawyer's position, he's not saying, oh, you just do the right things for the right reasons all the time, you'll go to heaven. That's true. But do we? Did he? That's what's being discussed, David. Let me know if that helps. Very good. And right, Pastor Scott? I think that's great. That's good. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, David, for that uh, question. We appreciate those questions. And once again, send them in, whatever platform you're joining us on. Send your questions. We are watching, and we'll uh, endeavor to get to those questions today on our show live. Um, question from Jessica here, something on a very Oof. 
personal level, yeah, hearts go out to you, Jessica. Um, she says, my husband left over a month ago saying the Holy Spirit told him to leave. There are no biblical grounds for divorce. We are believers, and I'm so stumped as to how to navigate through this. I am absolutely heartbroken. I love my husband. What is your advice here, please? Oh, boy. You know, uh, Jessica, first of all, um, we want to pray for you. Yeah. Uh, and, and that God would guide and direct you in such uh, a heartbreaking set of circumstances. It just uh, blows my mind uh, the things that you hear uh, out of the mouths of Christians to justify something that is an, an incredibly ungodly and unbiblical thing to do. This is outright uh, blasphemy. Yeah. Um, you know, it reminds me of uh, when I was involved with a prison ministry, we'd go down to the Wilmot uh, Medium Security Prison and sat down with one inmate and he just said, you know, I just can't believe that I'm here, that God would put me in prison like this. And I'm going, well, what do you mean God put you in prison? And he goes, well, I was really short on money and I prayed uh, to the Lord for guidance and he told me to go rob a bank and I got caught and I ended up here in prison. I mean, the guy was as sincere as the day is long. Wow. He just, he felt like he'd had a vision from God telling him to rob, uh, you know, the, uh, the bank of America. Yeah. Uh, so I said, well, what part of thou shalt not steal did you not understand? You know, it's one thing to say that God's spirit or the Lord told me to do something. But uh, there's a really important principle we have to, to bring into play here. Uh, you know, the, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, notice, we're not saying that God can't speak individually to our hearts yeah. as his people. He does. Uh, he does give us uh, direct guidances when, when we need it. Uh, you know, obviously, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But there are times where the Lord will give us direction and guidance in uh, more specific ways, but never in contradiction to the clear teaching of God's word. Right. Almost like the guy at the Wilmot prison, I, if I had the opportunity to speak to your husband, Jessica, I would say, what part of I hate divorce did you not understand yeah. from scripture malachi 2 you know why would god say tell you to do something that is directly contrary to his word like you said there was no biblical grounds here he's trying to hyper spiritualize i think mm -hmm. uh the impulses of his flesh and uh you know it kind of compounds it when you use the word blasphemy Sean, I don't think you're whistling Dixie there. No, and just for the sake of those listening, uh, the biblical grounds for divorce that we give chapter and verse for, Malachi 2, and noting spousal abuse, and of course several times in noting the Old and New Testament, particularly Jesus himself affirming, we can stand on that, that adultery would be biblical grounds for divorce. Now there's Or abandonment by a non-believer. Yeah, and that's, again the situation between two believers so yeah. we'd note that point but when someone's going to a either put words into god's mouth to misrepresent his character and claim that this is my standing with him or to literally in the name of god dishonor him this is what is meant by the commandment you shall not take the lord's name in vain to represent someone's name means to act on their behalf or to stand for them that's why when jesus says you know you do all things according to the father's will you pray in my name then it will be done for you to represent god to this world and then show the contrary it's literally a violation of one of the most fundamental commandments that we've been given from god now obviously 
along with bearing false witness, along with murder, along with adultery. Why is this one so serious? Because it's a deep, deep reflection of just how seriously you take the Word of God, the same authority, the same foundation of truth that your salvation is discovered from. Now, am I saying that if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're no longer saved? Well, yeah, but what does that look like? It's, of course, rejecting his convicting work, the person who can't be saved, the person who refuses to be. Right. But to misrepresent the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't say that's a salvation issue. That's not what was being communicated when Jesus was saying the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven them. But we need to at least take God's word seriously enough not to misrepresent him, not to lie in his name, especially when, and we can tell from five miles away, this is actually something self-serving. Am I judging? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, the other thing I would, would throw out in that realm is, you know, there's certain things you never want to be called that are mentioned in Scripture. And I would say in my top three would be false prophet. Yeah. Because the minute you say, the Holy Spirit told me to, yeah. you're speaking for God. You're saying, oh, it's not my deal, it's what the Lord told me to do you are engaging in false prophecy yeah. at that moment. Now, does that indicate, can a, can a believer fall into uh, the realm of false prophecy and be forgiven? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they can. But if I have a track record of completely disregarding the clear teaching of Scripture and trying to cover it up with some kind of spiritual varnish, that says, this isn't my deal, this is God's deal. Um, what kind of fruit is that in a person's life? Uh, if you engage in that sort of behavior, it's a good idea to take a step back and say, well, do I really know the Lord at all? It's like C.S. Lewis's famous line about uh, if what I call my relationship with Jesus doesn't involve paying the slightest bit of attention to, say, to, to how he says to live my life, then I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I just have an intellectual theory about him. Mm. So when something this egregious happens, you know, and I think we pretty much established that, Jessica, but you know, how do you then respond in this situation? What's the Lord saying to you? Well, I think there's a really interesting insight in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, I think that's key. They, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives and they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Mm -hmm. Now, normally this passage is applied to, say, an unequally yoked situation or, or you know, a uh, situation in the home where maybe the husband's a little uh, off kilter. But in the circumstance that you're in right now, there's a couple of things. There are things you can be responsible for, Jessica, and there are things you can't. You can't be responsible for the fact that your husband has taken a hard left turn off the straight and narrow. Yeah, you, you don't have any control over that. But you do have control over how you're going to respond, not react, but respond to the situation. Mm -hmm. And my advice to you in the midst of all of this, for two important reasons, is to hold on to Jesus and let him hold on to you with both hands. Make sure that your relationship with Jesus Christ is 
first and foremost on your agenda. Because right now, I, I know you're probably going through a wearing blender style experience of emotions. Mm -hmm. and, and undoubtedly, there's going to be some people that are going to come along and probably offer you some very unhelpful counsel. And, and uh, you know, maybe you're going to be doubting yourself. And, and uh, you know, again, tail chasing like there's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you are grounded in God's word, that you're spending time in God's word, letting him speak to you. Make sure your prayer life isn't being put by the wayside. Yep. Man, you really need to be connecting with God here. Make sure you get a small but committed and godly group of believers who can come alongside of you and provide you guidance and direction mm -hmm. spiritually in this. You know, let's face it, uh, we, we've all got blind spots. And in a situation like this that is so emotionally charged, you definitely need people that can see the bigger picture or see with less passionate eyes than you're seeing right now. Uh, people who, who's walked with God to respect. I'm not saying you have to go to every person in your church and say, oh, this is happening and this is happening and right. this is happening. Uh, make sure there are people that you respect. Make sure it, it's a limited group of individuals. Best to go to the leadership of your church as well. Uh, if your husband was involved with a, uh, a, a local fellowship, uh, go to the leadership of your church, let them know what's happening. And there is a tool that God can use when someone gets off the path like this called church discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the first step is to go to that person who is wronged you and confront them privately and personally, Matthew 18 and verse 15 and following talks about this. Then if he will not listen, then you take two or more that everything can be established by two or more witnesses. If they won't listen to that group, you tell it to the church. If they won't listen to the church, then that person is to be put out of fellowship. He's to be like to you like a tax collector or a Gentile, Jesus said. Why? To shame them? No, but to point out how serious the error they've fallen into is and to encourage them in no uncertain terms to turn back to God. Uh, the, the problem sometimes is that uh, we just say, oh, I just don't want to offend somebody and, and so on. But this is where, you know, being involved with a fellowship whose leadership you respect can really make a difference. Mm -hmm. and, and it is a tool that God, I think, wants to use because uh, God loves your husband and he doesn't want your husband to get off track and fall into uh, a, a pattern in his life that is only going to create heartache, not only for you, but, but uh, for an awful lot of people. So that, that, that's what I would say, you know, make sure you're taking care of business uh, personally, spiritually, make sure that you're surrounded by people whose walk with God, you respect, who can give you guidance and direction, let your church leadership know what's going on here and encourage them to reach out uh, to your husband and to uh, hopefully talk sense into him. Um, you know, the, 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 the saddest thing in the world is, uh, when, uh, we just kind of say, well, we don't want people to be upset. We are not going to get involved with these things. That's yeah. how we take care of each other in the body. And that's, yeah. that's where the body of Christ comes in. Yeah. Amen to that. So let's, uh, pray real quick. Yeah. Could you pray for me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Dad, we're grieving with our sister here and we know that the situation is one that you're looking on with heartbreak as well. Restoring. This individual is not going to be an easy one, but if the groundwork needs to be done from the heart to model your character more than any other time in her life, and pray you'd equip her for it and 
allow us all to join her not just in grieving a rightfully grievous situation but also in celebrating should this situation be resolved and restored i don't know where her husband's heart was but it wasn't with you i pray he'd return there i pray that he would not only seek restoration but genuine repentance and restoration from this blasphemy that he's committed knowing that you've shown the same patience with all of us in ways we're not even aware continue to work in both of their lives in a way where they both will stand before you justified only because of your son we mm. pray this in his name amen 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 thanks Sean. well jessica thank you for that question so sorry that you're going through that hope that uh, minister to you and helps you out uh, god bless you and is certainly with you a uh, question from uh, from Glenn. Question about uh, a few questions about holidays. Yeah, we've had those before. But <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, what is the history behind Mother's Day and Father's Day and Grandparents' Day? How can we use them for God's glory? Is it from May the goddess um, or May June Jupiter? Thanks. What? <laughs> Actually, uh, believe it or not, the history of Mother's Day. Uh, I did a quick uh, Google search on this. It can be tra uh, traced back to celebrations of ancient Greece in honor of Rhea, the mother of the gods. And so some people will say, ah, see, we shouldn't celebrate Mother's Day because it goes back to that kind of paganism. Uh, Only it's not. It was a woman by the name of, um, trying to remember her first name, but her last name was Jarvis, but she petitioned in the United States for remembrance for her mother when she died. This was in like the early 1900s. And that's the first actual, as far as the American understanding of Mother's Day is concerned, celebration of that with sending cards and so on and so forth. Father's Day was codified a little bit later during the time of, was it Nixon? Uh, he signed Father's Day into law, and I have no idea about Grandparents' Day. But when people, good grief, talk, talk about all these, oh, pagan origins and stuff, First of all, June isn't based on Jupiter. It's based on Hera, who was called Juno <laughs> in Latin. But the uh, I, well, I get so tired of hearing well, this. The, the, the point the, being made is this. Yeah, the, the bottom line, though, is, okay, maybe some of these things had some questionable background. But the, the big question is this. What are we doing with them today? You know, to, right. to say, um, well... Um, you know, because this goes back to Hera or Juno or, or, you know, well, you know, Zeus was called the father of the gods, so we don't want to be pagans like this. Yeah. And you uh, mentioned a mother or father is pagan, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, I think in a situation like this, what can really help is let the clear teaching of scripture, uh, give light rather than an obscure take or something that's sounding a little tinfoil Hattie in, uh, in its background. I resent that. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the bottom line is this. What does the Bible say our relationship should be with our father and our mother? It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that may be well with you, might live long on the earth, Ephesians chapter 6. There is nothing wrong with honoring your father or your mother. In fact, we shouldn't have just one day where we honor our father or our mother. It should be a lifestyle for us. And it is a... Uh, a <laughs> A, a promise uh, as a command with a promise that may be well with you may, you may live long on the earth hmm. uh, people say well what if my parents aren't honorable uh, well that doesn't matter to you, to you how they've lived the Bible says by faith because God says to do it 
You're to honor them. You know, what if they're telling me to do ungodly things? Well, the greatest honor you could ever do to someone who's telling you to do ungodly things is to do godly things uh, because uh, someday you, they'll see that God rewarded you for that. So, so don't worry about any of that. You know, the, the bottom line is, should we celebrate specific days? Should we set those things aside? Well, Romans chapter 14 and verse 5 says, one, day, one man considers one day above another, another considers every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. How can we be fully convinced in our own mind? If you don't want to celebrate Father's Day or Mother's Day or Grandparents' Day, then don't Consult celebrate Consult your it. mother first. <laughs> you know? Um, you, yeah. you, you know, you can deal with your mom later if you want, <laughs> um, you know, but make sure, you know, the other scriptural principle that whatever is not of faith is sin, uh, kicks in here as well. Okay. Well, what does it mean for me to walk by faith? What well, means for me to walk by God's word? And if there's a day where we can bless our moms and our dads and our grandparents, if they're still around, well, why not seize the opportunity to do something nice for them? You know, to go out and buy them a card. You know, to take them out to lunch or dinner. And just say, you know, I really appreciate you. I, I don't think you'll stand before God someday <laughs> and he will say, oh, well, you know, that pagan background and all of that. I know that you just really went out of your way to make your, your grandma feel better and, you know, do something nice for her. But it was pagan! Yeah. You know, zap. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Lord's going to say, well, you saw that principle in my word and you walked according to it, uh, whether it had a shady background or a past. Uh, I have never seen, I've been to a lot of Mother's Day, like, uh, you know, buffets and celebrations and things like that. I've never seen one that included bowing down to Juno and doing obeisance to an idol before you're able to Nope. Get your meal. Yeah. So, in, in our culture, first time for everything. In our yes. culture, I think it's a non-starter. So yeah. don't don't worry about that. And you know, when it comes to you know other issues, I mean, Easter coming up, inevitably we get the uh, oh Easter, it's pagan. Mm-hmm. It has pagan roots. Now, Sean, you deal with this yeah. a we, lot. We actually have this question from Renee: Is, on, he, is Easter a pagan holiday on the internet? So, could you yeah. provide for us? Uh, uh, I'm going to ask you to rise above the level of your exasperation, but could you provide for us some insight into how do you deal with that? Because there certainly are pagan ideas that are associated with Easter. Uh, I don't see the word Easter egg in my Greek concordance in the Bible. Uh, How are we supposed to navigate through all of that? Well, first, the person you're talking to needs to have some concern for the truth, which with a lot of these pagan origin fields aren't really on the top of their list. Like we talked about with April Fool's Day, some people just like being the center of attention and having that new historical insight, but that only comes through a willingness to do maybe five minutes of historical research and the discernment to spot if someone had an agenda or not. Obviously, best of intentions for guys like Alexander Hislop and the two Babylons, but he didn't know a thing of what he was talking about. When we're talking about all these pagan origins and ideologies, Easter and Christmas usually take the brunt of it because of the work of a group called the Jesuits. Now, the Jesuits were very fond of what was, again, I'll come up with my own term because I don't remember theirs at the moment, but this idea of kind of commingling customs in the people that they were evangelizing to not just 
Christianity, but specifically the Roman Catholic Church, for the sake of outperforming the Protestants who were just telling people the Bible. Now, is that a jab? Kind of, but the point still stands. When these became more and more prevalent, and you see a lot of Germanic and Celtic customs interwoven, you see legitimately uh, old Norse heroes and even potentially some obscure Norse deities that were canonized into saints because the town was just really dedicated to these things. Yeah, bummer. But when it comes to the actual Easter celebration, the facts aren't actually on the table. Here's the fact of the matter. First, people will go, well, the name Easter is a reference to Ashtart, or what's this name a Norse pagan, or a Zoroastrian pagan, or an Egyptian pagan. It sounds like this, therefore Ishtar. it is. Ishtar, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. of course, that's just as ridiculous yeah. as, yeah. oh, well, this name sounds like the Antichrist. He's Satan. That's not obviously going to fly in court, let alone in Scripture. So when we're talking about where that name came from, Yes, it is true that one of the months of the year, according to the Gregorian calendar, was named after one of the Norse deities. The uh, month of Oshter was centered around that goddess, but the problem was that was when Easter was already being practiced. And when they would celebrate these days in most writings and in most literature at the ancient world, and you can look this up, it was usually just considered the Easter celebration, the Oshter celebration. And what's interesting about that as well is that when we determine when Easter is, is it because of the Norse pagan deity or is it because of a certain biblical celebration we call Pasher or Passover? So that's the first thing to note. If they say, well, the name sounds like, therefore it is. Okay, the word rake sounds like a cake, therefore you're going to get a concussion on your birthday because that's what I have for you. That's not obviously going to make any sense either. Yeah. But if we're going to actually take this at face value, that's not how facts work. That's not how history works. Then people will be a bit more substantive and go, well, what about the customs? Easter bunny you know, symbol of pagan fertility. Well, I know bunnies are somewhat fertile, but I don't know of a lot of pagan rituals that involve them. If you can give specifics instead of these obscure and, you know, arrogant and offstandish, well, of course they're a pagan symbol. I mean, just look at them. And then, you know, we've had difficulties with rabbits in the past. We had a pet who was a little bit ignorant, but I, yeah. I had the responsibility of fetching him from the backyard, and he never cooperated. But yeah. the point being made was that. Bite me, too. Yeah. <laughs> they, they look cute. They're not. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. But you digress. <laughs> yeah. Bad experience with bunnies. But the point being made is ask for specifics, not just where's and when's, but how's. If they're going to say, well, it's obvious, that cuts both ways. Of course, the bunny applies to this uh, Christian celebration. It's obvious. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, you don't make any sense. We're not talking to each other. We're just exchanging slogans. That's not how facts work. The problem with the bunny illustration is that it's not a bunny, it's a hare, which is different. And it was based on an old Germanic proverb that was noting, when the hare flees, this was in reference to hunting, we can still gather the eggs of its nest. This is the idea that there's always going to be another animal coming around. It had various interpretations, but that was the idea. Now you say, well, hares don't lay eggs. That is true. So why are they associated with Easter? Well, the custom was, and once again, 
Don't take my word for it. Look this up. It was in preparation of the Catholic custom known as Lent. Now, Lent was usually accompanied by fasting, which, while not necessarily a biblical mandate, is a good thing to do. And in preparation for Easter, they would have these sort of celebrations. Now, in storing food, obviously, they didn't have refrigerators and the whole technology that we have in preserving meats, especially if you were going to have meat, what they would usually do is they would either eat it immediately or they would reserve those sort of things and just assume they were in the hands of the nobles. They would cultivate livestock. They wouldn't eat it for themselves unless on special occasions. So in preparation for Easter, the most accessible form of protein for common folk was eggs. And while they were fasting, they would prepare for a large Easter feast by hard-boiling them and sometimes marking them, note the paint, yeah. in order to set them aside for the celebration. And there was one report that was uh, given by Inspiring Philosophy. His uh, real-life name's Michael Jones, but he provides his sources in this very well in noting that there was one instance where a European king uh, had gold leaf wrapped around his eggs that he was preparing for Easter and then gave them out to his relatives. It's generally where we assume the traditions came from, but they're very much not co-opted from paganism. It was just a European custom that was accommodating Jewish fasting periods and Christian ceremonies like remembering the resurrection. So if we're going to say, name, I can vaguely associate that with some other goddess. Well, a, that's silly, but B, it was the month that was being identified that Passover usually came upon. We celebrate Easter not because pagans celebrated that day, but because Jews and Christians celebrated Jesus' resurrection on the go. Sunday following Passover. You say, well, the customs aren't biblical. Well, yeah, but they were historically intended not for pagan reasons, but for fasting and feasting reasons, which are obviously biblical. If you're going to say, well, I just feel convicted. I don't want this association with paganism in my life. Well, A, if you don't want the association with paganism, is that centered on truth or is that centered on social stigma of a guy who just wanted to have something new and hip and fresh, as the kids used to say, yeah. uh, to talk about? You, you shouldn't determine your convictions based on a lie. But if, on the other hand, you take a step back and go, I'm remembering the resurrection of Jesus every day, we go back to the Romans 14 principle. Yeah. So, obviously, you know my exasperation and the huge red bags under my eyes. Yes, they are from allergies, but the point being made is this. If you hear someone argue pagan roots for anything, that should be not a red flag against it, but against them, because 99 times out of 100, they're lying. Or they're taking information from someone who knew better and Misguided. was trying to be sensational. Yep. 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 So, yep. great. Well, Renee, thank you for that. Hope, hope that helps you out. Um, question from Enrique. Another holiday question: Cinco de Mayo. Is there a Christian ideology behind this holiday? Um, it's coming up where he is in Mexico. So, any no, thoughts on that? Well, Cinco de Mayo. It, it's kind of like Bastille Day in France. It commemorates a uh, day where uh, the Mexican people rape. Uh, were raised up and had a victory against the uh, colonialists that were keeping them down. And so, just like we celebrate the 4th of July, hmm. uh, they no celebrate uh, Cinco <laughs> de Mayo. Dave doesn't celebrate the 4th good, of July. Good riddance day. Yeah, good, good yeah. riddance day. You're on your own day. <laughs> Came back 
1812 and burn your White House down <laughs> just to show we could, day. We've heard it all, day. Right, we yeah, understand yeah. all of that. Uh, no, uh, you know, if um, you uh, want to uh, commemorate the fact that uh, you're happy that you live in a particular uh, nation and uh, feel a, uh, a sense of solidarity with all of that and want to give thanks for all the good things that you have as a result of that, knock yourself out. Mm. No Very different good. than the 4th of July, though. Yes, got yeah. it. That's yeah. a good... Is it Guy Fawkes Day in, in England? Guy Fawkes, yeah. Well, yeah, we don't obviously have 4th of July, but Guy Fawkes is when uh, Guy Fawkes tried to blow up the House of Parliament. And yeah. so, yeah, it's basically a reminder to not try and do that because it didn't go well for him. So yeah, but is there but, any English equivalent to the 4th of July? Um, no. Yeah. No, no, we yeah. just let you guys have your fun. Yeah. Well, and uh, <laughs> Guy Fawkes Day has some association with Halloween, which we'll be talking about right. too, so... yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a spooky holiday too. Yeah. But, um, coming up on the end of our show here, but a uh, question from, it's a great question, from Love Here in Y'all, is your name? Um, <laughs> well, we love hearing y'all Yeah, too. we love hearing y'all yeah. too. Or at least reading your questions. Yeah. Is once saved, always saved uh, biblical? Boy, that is a huge question. <laughs> yeah. And, you and, got five minutes, go for it. And, and here's the bottom line. Uh, you know, when you get into once saved, always saved versus can you lose it? Uh, boy, uh, I'll tell you, as a guy who's gone through seminary, that was one we used to debate back and forth over coffee and so on, ad infinitum. Uh, it just would go on yeah. and on because everybody's got their scriptures. Um, does the Bible teach that we are eternally secure? Mm. Yes, in fact, it does teach that we are eternally secure. I think about what Jesus said in uh, John chapter 6 about all of this. He says that uh, no one can snatch those that the Father has given me out of my hand. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that, uh, you know, again, in uh, John chapter 5 and uh, verse uh, 24, how, uh, you know, Jesus said, the one who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, he will not enter into judgment, is passed from death into life. Now that sounds pretty awfully secure yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, the once saved, always saved side would say that because we didn't do anything to deserve salvation, we can't do anything to deserve being kicked out of salvation. Mm -hmm. That God has given us the spirit of adoption, we are told in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Well, yeah. in Roman culture, if you were a natural born child, you could get kicked out of the family for any reason. Mm. You know, didn't make your bed, burn the toast, didn't mow the lawn right. You know, dad could get rid of you. Could kill you if you wanted to with no repercussions. Mm -hmm. But if you were an adopted son, you know, the movie Ben-Hur goes into some of the detail about the uh, solemnness and the, the seriousness of being adopted into a family mm. as, as Ben-Hur is adopted by General Arius and so on, given all the rights of that family and all the power behind all of that. So, you know, it's like uh, there were, it was just a one-way way trip with adoption. You could not unadopt someone who has been adopted. Wow. And so, you know, those who believe in once saved, always saved would say, uh, yeah, you know, all these things are true. Now, those who believe you can lose it mm. also have some serious warning scriptures that tell us how important it is not to take our salvation for granted and to continue to persevere. Yeah, we uh, talked about him a bit on the apostasy question we had yesterday. Yeah, well, you know, again, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, verse 35 says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. 
For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not those who draw back to perdition. Mm. The word perdition means eternal destruction. Mm. Uh, But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So this particular passage says, uh, keep on keeping on. You know, don't take your salvation for granted. Uh, you know, don't right. fall into the, well, I prayed a prayer kind of mentality. Yep. So, you know, both sides have the scriptures that they, they bring up. Where do we find uh, the, the, the biblical, uh, I wouldn't say middle ground, but, but the, really what the truth of scripture is yep. on this issue. We have one minute left. If yeah. you, can. you know, um, Chuck Smith talked about uh, how in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine you're the branches. The one who abides in me bears much fruit. Mm. He said, I believe in the eternal security of those who abide in a living relationship with Jesus. But I also believe in the eternal insecurity of those who don't abide in a living relationship with right. Jesus. Just to say, well, I prayed a prayer or I filled out a comment card or you know, I joined a church or even I was water baptized and we have had no kind of change or transformation in our lives you know, that's kind of silly. And both sides, in a sense, are saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Because one side, they were both trying to explain the phenomena of someone who was a Christian who turned their back on the Lord. Yeah. The once saved, always saved side would look at that person and say, well, they weren't really saved in the first place, so they would have continued. The you can lose it side would say, oh, well, they might have been saved, but obviously they're not walking the Lord. Both of them are saying the same thing. Yeah. That person needs Jesus. That's right. So just make sure you're not one of those people that people are looking at and say, that person needs Jesus, yeah. and you'll be fine. Right. <laughs> so. Thanks so much. That's it for today. We'll see you same places tomorrow. God bless you guys. Bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.